0: From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Wednesday, November 8th. A trail system south of town built with Class 1 e-bikes and adaptive cycles in mind would be the first of its kind for the Moab area. The Mud Springs Trail System is a proposal from the Bureau of Land Management, currently out for public comment. A a good management practice for a land management agency to have opportunities for everyone and to be inclusive. That's Carrie Nelson, an outdoor recreation planner with the BLM's Moab Field Office. All motorized trails in the Moab area are open to all classes of e-bikes, but... There is a very limited amount of actual... single track for
1: e-bikes this would be the first trail system um, for the Bureau of Land Management in the Moab area that would be open to e-bikes you know with the the goal being just to Provide an opportunity for um, people who
0: wish to ride an e-bike to have a trail system that they can recreate on in the Moab area. As proposed, the Mud Springs Trail System would allow Class 1 e-bikes. This class is pedal assist only, without a throttle, and has a maximum assisted speed of 20 miles per hour. The BLM first identified the Mud Springs trail system as a mountain bike focus area nearly 15 years ago. The area is 12 miles south of Moab, near the base of the Big Hill, off Highway 191. Right
1: at the base of there, if you take a left-hand turn um, directly to the east, there are some hills that are somewhat foothills of the Salle Mountains. So the trail system is proposed to be built within those hills just right there at the Base of
0: the mountain. The BLM's current proposal aims to build 10 miles of what eventually could be up to 25 miles of trail that would accommodate mountain bike riders of diverse skills and abilities. Nelson says the federal agency has been in touch with organizations like the Telluride Adaptive Sports Program and the National Ability Center to meet the needs of their participants. To accommodate adaptive cycles like hand cycles, trail designers take a number of things into consideration, like the wider trail base or trail bed that will allow for wider wheel based hand cycles.
1: So, all of the trails are being designed with um, adaptive design features.
0: The BLM will partner with San Juan County and Grand County's trails team to build and maintain the trail system. Nelson says they hope to complete the project as proposed by 2025, and she says the use of Mud Springs trails would be seasonal. If you go
1: out there in the early to mid-spring,
0: you can understand why it's
1: called Mud Springs. It definitely can get muddy out there. Um, There will be a closure each year from um December 1st to April 15th because of winter mule deer
0: migration as well as the mud that does happen out there and the desire to protect the trail system itself. That's right, seasonal closures for the mule deer and the mud. Nelson says at one time planners tried to name this area the Spanish Hills Trail System. But well, the mud stuck. We just sort of had this reckoning of like well, we kind of like mud springs. I mean it's it, true to what it is. It's the actual
1: area itself um, and so we went back to mud springs.
0: The BLM is taking public comments on their mud springs trail system proposal until Tuesday, November 21st. Planner Nelson says she's excited about getting this proposal off the ground. It might be the first step towards a more interconnected trail system for that area.
1: There's some exciting potential to maybe connect the trail system up into the trails that run through the La Salles and the Manta La National Forest, which would be super exciting. There's also potential to connect it over to the La Mountain Loop Road and Kins Lake. You know, I mean, who, who knows what will happen in the future, but, uh, you know, there's definitely a big asset there for those that are um, currently
0: residing in in Upper Spanish Valley, but those who will reside there in the future as well. Find more info about the proposed Mud Springs Trail system in the show notes of today's news. Anyone expecting quick answers as to why a private plane crashed outside Moab, killing the four people on board, might be disappointed by a preliminary report released last week from the National Transportation Safety Board. The NTSB found no sign of mechanical problems with the aircraft that was piloted by North Dakota State Senator Douglas Larson. Larson's plane crashed shortly after takeoff the night of October 1st, killing himself, his wife, and two of their children. Although the NTSB report does not provide answers as to why the plane crashed, it does contain a few more details about its takeoff. The report states that it was dark, and the pilot-controlled runway lights were not illuminated. Once the plane took off, it climbed 200 feet into the air, then turned steeply to the right to fly back past the airport. After that, the plane began descending and crashed. The NTSB located two distinct points of impact northwest of the runway on open, hilly terrain. In a press conference in early October, NTSB air safety investigator Fabian Salazar says they look at a number of factors to determine the cause of a plane crash.
2: Uh, We look at three big areas. That's the man, the machine, and the environment. So we'll, uh, we'll examine the pilot's history, how long he's been flying, the hours that he's accumulated, his experience. We'll look at the aircraft, the maintenance history of the aircraft, and we'll also look at the weather.
0: It won't be clear what caused this accident until the NTSB finishes their full investigation, which could be over a year from now. Snow is beginning to fall high in the Rockies, forming the main water supply for the Colorado River. Alex Hager, with our partners at KUNC, talked with climate and water management experts about what this winter will bring and what's
2: at stake. James Dilzell is walking through a soggy wetland, snapping twigs as he navigates the banks of a high mountain creek. Pine forests up above us, um, some aspens in the background, um, and just abundant sun as we love to have here in Colorado. Dilzell runs the Eagle River Watershed Council near Vail, Colorado. This sun-soaked tangle of streams and ponds will soon be buried in snow. And the snow that falls here melts and sets off on a long journey. This ultimately goes into the Colorado River Basin. This helps supply water for 40 million people, and the issues that we feel within our watershed here in the headwaters just get amplified as we go downstream. The water that flows out of taps in Denver, Phoenix, and Los Angeles, the irrigation water for sprawling fields of crops across the southwest, the vast majority of it starts as snow high in the Rockies. Two-thirds of that starts in the state of Colorado. So what will this winter bring to the state's mountains? I can
0: tell you that it's anyone's guess.
2: Becky Bollinger is the assistant state climatologist.
0: Being Colorado, the very beginning of the water year, it's a big crapshoot. You know, we don't have a lot to go on.
2: She says it's hard to tell because the indicators we do have don't actually tell you much about Colorado. This winter will bring El Nino conditions. It's a region-wide weather pattern that means more precipitation in the northern part of the western U.S. and less in the south. But the dividing line is Colorado. Interestingly
0: enough, it shows equal chances of above average, below average, or near average conditions.
2: But there is one thing we do know, the impact of last winter, which brought record-breaking snow to the mountains. That saturates the ground so thirsty soil doesn't soak up snowmelt next spring, helping runoff get to the places where people control and collect water.
0: Even though we're kind of at the beginning of the race, we're not starting further
2: back from the starting line than we should. And all that data about weather in Colorado, people are keeping an eye on it from far away.
1: We watch the snow patterns. We cheer when there's big snowfalls in the Rockies.
2: Cynthia Campbell is an advisor to the water department in Phoenix, Arizona.
1: We watch it throughout the winter. Um, It's kind of like, you know, October 1st comes around and it's game on.
2: And lately, the winter weather has been fickle. That makes it harder to predict how much water will be available in reservoirs that supply Phoenix and other big cities far from the mountains.
1: We have even over the past decade or two really seen how this system can seemingly turn on a dime.
2: And a quick turn could cause a lot of trouble for the people who manage the Colorado River. Kyle Rohrink is director of the nonprofit Great Basin Water Network. We cannot be naive to think that, oh yeah, we had a big winter, we're out of this. Two or three dry years will bring us back to the to the brink. After years spent in emergency mode, with water policymakers scrambling to come up with short-term deals that compensated for dry years and shrinking reservoirs, the situation is looking a little better. But Rorink says a lot hangs in the balance with future water management. I am just hoping, praying, crossing the fingers that decision makers on the inside this time will not take the easy route. And he hopes their hard work will result in new, more permanent river-sharing rules that can outlast the ebb and flow of each winter. And as snow starts to stack up in the mountains, we'll know soon just how urgently they're needed. I'm Alex Hager.
0: And that's the KZMU News for Wednesday, November 8th. Get your community-powered journalism weekdays on the airwaves at noon and six. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.